My what a bunch, much work has been done here today, folks. A lot of folks have been working to fix things and make them uh, even better for our video presentation and broadcast tonight. So I, I, I'm not going to go through all the folks, but there have been people in and out of the building getting things done. And based on what I've seen already in our live stream, it's looking really good. So we'll let you know who's all been doing what. Uh, next Sunday, because it doesn't work, then I want to put their names out there yet. But if it works great, then I want to put it out there and uh, let you know who's been doing what. So thank you to all that have uh, taken part. Folks, people have been working here all afternoon getting things ready. So that's the kind of commitment we have out of folks here at Union Grove Baptist Church. So let me just uh, say a couple of quick things. First of all, if you're watching us on live stream, and my goodness, a lot of folks have been uh, clicking in and watching us. We're so happy. I mean, I consider you our very, very special visitors if you haven't been to the church actually before. So good to see you folks. Many folks that I've known over the years have been texting me or emailing me and saying, hey, uh, we watched you this Sunday. And it's like, wow, that's, that's fantastic. So we really appreciate seeing you. So when we finally get our doors back open, which we're not sure when uh, the coronavirus will settle down, but folks, we are right in the heart of Racine County, Milwaukee County, Kenosha County, Racine County. Folks, it's all a short drive to this church. We want to see people from every single county coming here, and we're looking forward. Folks, we are going to have a celebration like you've never seen before uh, when we get back here. The folks will be excited. Uh, we're going to just do do it right. So look forward to that as soon as the, we get permission, if you will, and the government allows us to open uh, our doors and get more folks in here. We'll let you know, and we're looking forward to that. I hope it's Easter, but to be realistic, right now it's uh, you know, looking a little tentative on that. But keep tuned to watch our updates. By the way, if you'd like to get on my email list and on Union Grove Baptist email list, here's all you have to do. Please go to myuniongrovebaptist.com. Just simply, you'll find the contact information, write, our, write to the church, give the email address. I'm doing three weekly updates, about five to ten minute video updates, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'd love you to get those. You can get them through uh, myuniongrowbaptist.com or I can send you the link directly to your home. But I really like to know who you are. And uh, even though we can't touch each other and, if you will, face-to-face uh, -face right now, we want to get you that technology. All right, enough said. Uh, this morning, we started working through, again, the Passion Week of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, last uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night, 9 a.m. and 6 p.m., we just started to get into the things that Jesus was doing during those couple of days before he would go to the cross. So I'm going to give you a very quick review once again as we go through this. I'm going to put that to the side a little bit. There we go. Got to fill it home here. All right, so we started uh, Sunday morning a week ago on the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. So just as a quick review to keep everybody in tune with what we've been doing. So what do we have? 
the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that he was coming into Jerusalem. He did several things before that, uh, but that was a huge, huge part of what the Lord did. If you recall, in uh, Matthew 21, Jesus begins to come into Jerusalem. The people take off their outer garments. They throw them on the ground as a sign of respect for, uh, basically, it's showing that the king is coming in. They're cutting down branches. They're throwing them on the ground. There's jubilation. The people are absolutely thrilled to see... Catch this now, not Jesus the Messiah, but Jesus the miracle worker, the one who's performed things, the one who's done things for the people. So as you can see uh, uh, on your screen right now, again, as a little review, if you've not, if you've been brand new for those maybe that are seeing this for the first time. So Jesus was staying in Bethany. That's just over the top of the Mount of Olives, and we'll show you the picture in just a moment of what it would have really looked like. So he stays in Bethany. He wanted to celebrate, if you will, Shabbat or Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday night in Bethany. Then he gets up after Saturday night, and on Sunday, early in the morning, he begins his trek to the temple. That's where that great triumphal entry, right before he gets to the temple, will take place. So as you can see right now, if you're looking, you'll see where the Mount of Olives is. Uh, you go down into the Kidron Valley and then up to the Temple Mount. It's, a, it's about a mile and a quarter walk, which is what is under what's known as a Sabbath day's journey. So, uh, uh, very close to each other. So, the bottom line is Jesus comes over the Mount of Olives after he leaves Bethany, which is very, very close, just a, a, a less than a mile away, goes down the Kidron Valley and begins to go up to the temple where he's then met by a great crowd of people that are uh, jubilant over him. Now you also see, just to give you a little bit, you can see a picture of Israel uh, on uh, the left side of the screen, the right side, where you see uh, the the of the waterways, which is uh, at the bottom of the Dead Sea. The little water up through the middle is the Jordan River, and the top is the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus was staying in Bethany on the top of the mountain. It was, again, it's just a little over a mile walk to get him over to the temple. So he comes in. The people are ecstatic. They're excited. Here's Jesus. Why were they so excited to see him? How did the news get out about what he had done? Well, here's what he had done. Just a little review again. A few weeks earlier, Jesus had come to Bethany. Lazarus, remember Lazarus? Lazarus had died. He's the brother of Mary and Martha. Lazarus dies. He's in the grave. His sisters see Jesus coming four days afterwards, and they're like, Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, do you believe in the resurrection? And they said, well, yes, in the future we know there'll be one. And uh, what was he hinting at? He's like, I'm going to do one right now. Jesus walks up to the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead. They say, don't go, don't open the tomb. He's going to smell bad right now. And he's like, pull it away. Lazarus, come forth. And folks, what happens? Lazarus gets up, grave clothes still on, stumbles outside and... The sisters are ecstatic, as anyone would be, to see something like that. And that word got out. People knew all over the countryside what had happened. They wanted to see Jesus as one who had raised Lazarus from the dead. Then, uh, last Sunday night, we went through several things that all of a sudden start to change the tenor of how Jesus is interacting with the people. Remember, how does he come into Jerusalem it is people are absolutely thrilled to see him. 
It's, it's a party, if you will. It's, it's jubilation. Wow, Jesus is here. Here's the one that raised Lazarus from the dead. Here's the one that's been feeding thousands of people miraculously. Here's the one who's casting out demons, healing sick people. Marvelous things that he's done. Wow, it's Jesus. He's here. And then he goes to the temple. And on Monday and Tuesday, here's some of the things that took place. And we're going to finish out most of Tuesday this evening. But here's just a little reminder. Jesus walks into the temple. You can see a picture of the second temple right now on the screen. It's Passover. People are coming. The Jewish people. Remember, this is a Jewish scene. This is not a church-age scene. This is back before the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. We're dealing with a Jewish crowd. So Jesus comes into the temple area, and he sees individuals that are selling uh, uh, animals for the sacrifice at ridiculous prices, high prices. He sees money changers. You had to have the right coinage, if you will, in Jerusalem. Roman coins, other coins that people were bringing in from around the world, they didn't, they didn't want those. They wanted the per current currency. So he had the money changers, and they're charging exorbitant fees in order to, if you will, make that exchange. Jesus, very much so, gets extremely upset, and he screams at the people, You have made my father's house a den of robbers. Not happy about it. This should be a house of prayer. Wait a minute. Remember what we said this morning? What's starting to happen? Jesus comes in triumphant, jubilant. The crowds are ecstatic. Here he is. And now all of a sudden, as we uh, I like to say in our vernacular, he's getting into the face of the people. He's starting to cause conflict. He's getting folks to look at him and they're like, what is this guy really up to? Well, we find that uh, morning he comes out of the temple. He goes uh, early in the morning still. He goes by a fig tree. There's no figs on it. He curses the tree and it dies. His disciples see it and they're like, wow. Look what Jesus just did. That is such a simple miracle that he did, but it really stood out. Then Jesus decides to deal with the, uh, the religious leaders, and they start talking about John the Baptist. Was he really from God? And if so, why didn't you religious leaders believe? Hey, you Jewish folks, you Jewish leaders, you Jewish hypocrites. Wow. I mean, is that the kind of thing you want to hear? He's starting to push them. Why? Why is Jesus if you will, being antagonistic. Why is he pushing these people? Hang on there, we'll get to that in a moment. He then goes to two parables in Matthew chapter 21. He talks about two sons, one that did what his father said, one that said he was going to do what his father asked him to do, which was go work in his vineyard, but he didn't go. And Jesus asked the religious leaders, hey folks, which son did the right thing? The one who said he would go or the, the, the one that said he didn't want to go and he refused to go but then decided to go? Did he do the right thing? Or did the son who said he was going to go and never went and do the work that he was called to do? Which one did the right thing? The Jewish religious leaders answered correctly. Well, the son, even though he was rebellious at first, he repented and he went out and did the work. And Jesus just gets on them big time. And he said, you hypocrites. The harlots, the prostitutes will get into heaven before you do because you've seen the things. I've told you the things. John the Baptist told you things. The prophets have told you things, and you rejected them. Whoa, it's getting rough. 
Then we talk about the parable of the vineyard over. Parable, of course, being a story. And Jesus accounts about how an individual, a landowner, had a great vineyard. And he goes away and he leaves the vineyard to a bunch of individuals to tend to his vineyard and take care of it. And all of a sudden people start coming in and they kill them, they beat them, they cast them out. Finally, the vineyard owner's son shows up representing Jesus Christ and they kill him. It's a story. What is, what is uh, the Lord trying to relay to the religious leaders? That they were doing the same thing with Jesus Christ. God had given the religious leaders, the Jewish people, including uh, Gentiles, of course, he had given them this world, if you will, to do the right thing. They didn't. And Jesus was pointing it out. Very quickly this morning, we talked about the parable, again, a parable being a story, not a, not a true, accurate account of an issue or a, uh, a thing that took place, but a parable, a story, an illustration. So he took us to Matthew chapter 22, and what did we talk about? There was a wedding that the father invited all the people to come to. Come on in. We're going to have a wedding. He invites them. The people turn him down. Remember, parable, story. So he said, listen, servants, go out there. Call everybody, any place, anywhere. Go to the streets, go to the highways, go to the byways. Call people in. And then some people came to the wedding. And now here's where he goes. He looks out in the crowd of the wedding and he sees one person sitting out there. And he said, wait a minute. Sir, why don't you have on a wedding garment? Why aren't you properly dressed for my son's wedding? Take him out of here. He's disrespecting me. He's not truly one who came here for the right reasons. Cast him out. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you know, among the Pharisees, among the Sadducees, among the scribes, among the elders, there's people who look the right way. They come into, if you will, trying to be part of God's kingdom. But they're phonies. They've never trusted the Lord. He said, cast them out. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's he talking about? Unfortunately, going to hell. Nobody likes to hear that. Politically incorrect. But it's a fact. Then the Pharisees, the lawyers, get to him and they say, Hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes to the government? And he said, Well, of course you should. Render to Caesar what Caesar's, render to God what God. And the Pharisees thought, hmm, We were hoping he'd mess up on that, but Jesus had the right answer. Then we go to the Sadducees' question regarding Jesus on the resurrection. The Sadducees, and uh, we went through this, and I heard a couple of comments about that. Uh, why, what, who were the Sadducees? The big thing to remember is they did not believe in a literal resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in certain things that part of the Old Testament. And I made the little funny statement, they don't believe in the resurrection, and that is why they are sad, you see. Okay, that's how I remember it. They don't believe in the resurrection, so they're sad. And they ought to be sad if they didn't believe in it. So Jesus discusses the resurrection. Hey, uh, my brother had, uh, or, or my wife got married to seven of our brothers. And they all died and she died. Who's, who, whose husband is going, how, who, who's going to get her in heaven? And Jesus said, you err, religious leaders. You don't know the scriptures. Because if you knew the scriptures, you would know that there is no marriage in heaven, but they're like the angel. We'll be like angels in heaven. We don't get married. We don't procreate. You're not going to have wives in heaven. 
And they're like, oh boy, I guess Jesus figured that one out too. They kept trying to get him. Last thing that we looked at this morning was Jesus was discussing the deity of Jesus Christ. He's looking at himself. And and the Pharisees say, hey Jesus, whose son is David? Whose son is the Messiah? I'm sorry, whose son is the Messiah? And they say, the son of David. And Jesus takes him to Psalm 110, verse 1, and talks about that God the Father, who David was addressing, calls Jesus Christ his Lord. David calls the Messiah his Lord. That's 500 years before Jesus came. And Jesus takes him back 500 years before he was on this earth and said, you know what David called me? He called me Lord. He was looking at me as the Messiah. Therefore, the Messiah is not David's son. Got him again. All right, so tonight, what are we going to look at? First of all, we're going to see and we're going to continue our, our, our look at Matthew chapter 23 tonight. We're going to get through Matthew 23 and look at more things that are happening. So Jesus is taking the religious leaders and he's driving them. He's pushing them to make a decision. Here's two things that they can do. Number one, will they accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah? That's one option because that's what Jesus is pushing for. The second thing is this, or will the religious leaders reject the Lord Jesus Christ and plot to destroy him? Well, folks, here's how the narrative is going to go as we look at chapter 23 tonight. We're getting virtually to the end of Tuesday now couple days before the Lord is crucified, he comes in the triumphal entry. Now all of a sudden things are beginning to fall apart, if you will, but they're not falling apart. They're going exactly where the Lord Jesus wanted them to go. Do you know why Christ came into the world? Do you know why he went to the triumphal entry? Do you know why he went to Jerusalem? It was to die. Jesus had announced to the disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem to die. That is why he came. You say, why? Why would he want to come to Jerusalem when you know he was going to die? Because if Jesus didn't die, you and me, we'd all still be in our sin. Jesus had to go to the cross. Jesus had to pay the price for you and me, or we would be in our sin. There would be no way for us to be saved. We would all go to that place that we don't even like to use the word anymore in our culture, but they're going to go to hell. Every person without Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, young people, teenagers, senior citizens watching, anyone without Christ. You mean, what do you mean, without Christ? I mean, they've not accepted his free gift of salvation. And any single person that's never trusted Jesus, folks, I'm not trying to be unkind. It's the way it is. I had to trust Christ. I had to realize that Jesus Christ died for this sinner. You say, oh, so you're a sinner. That means you must have killed people. You must be a murderer. You must be a whoremonger. You must be a really bad guy. You know, folks, I never did any of those things. Not a one of them. But you know what I did do? I've lied. Yeah. You know, when I was a, even when I was a kid, have I ever stolen something off another kid's desk? Yeah. Have I ever done something I wish I wouldn't have done? Yes. But you know, we don't have to prove that we're sinners by our behavior because the Bible makes it clear. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, I say it a lot. It says, wherefore, is by one man 
Adam, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men because of all sin. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 tells us that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Because Romans 5.12 makes it very clear that sin is transferred through the male. And if Jesus would have had a physical father... He couldn't die for us. He wouldn't be able to give his life for us. That's why he was virgin born. So folks, every one of us is born a sinner. Folks, and that's why Jesus had to go to the cross because indeed he would be rejected. But that was on purpose. He knew that's what had to happen. So he was not afraid to tell the folks that he knew would eventually condemn him to death in a couple of days, the facts of life. All right, so uh, Jesus debates uh, the world or the, the religious leaders of his day. So tonight, if you want to take your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 23. And if you think Jesus was tough before in chapter 21 or 22, oh, you haven't seen anything yet. Eight woes. Now, what does a woe mean? It is a mean, harsh condemnation of somebody. When you say woe, it's more than uh, in some of our, our cowboy movies. What do you see? You see somebody on a horse and, whoa, they pull them back. Folks, this is a whoa pulling people back, but it's a whole lot stronger than taking a rein and trying pulling a horse back. This is a harsh condemnation. Woe to you. You're going to watch as Jesus, I, I, in our vernacular, he is going to light these religious leaders up. Big time. I mean, he's going to really get on them this time. So let's see what happens. So here's our introduction as we look at the first 12 verses. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. So remember, there were multitudes of people there. It's the Passover time. Three main feasts that all Jewish males had to be in Jerusalem. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. It's by Jewish law. God put it in the Old Testament. They had to be there. So there's thousands and thousands of Jewish men that normally wouldn't be there. Many of them bring their families, their children. So Jesus is speaking to the multitudes and to his disciples. So they're there as well. Saying, here's, here's how he's going to make friends and influence enemies. Here's what Jesus says. First thing out of his mouth. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Folks, do you know what it's like when you name names in something? Have you, have you ever looked at a, a broadcast or, or maybe you're seeing something and all of a sudden somebody comes on and says, guess who did X? And they name somebody and we go, oh, wow, are you kidding me? They did that? And Jesus is doing the exact same thing, a little shock and awe, get people's attention. Ladies and gentlemen, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. If you went into a Jewish synagogue, let's just imagine right what you're looking at right now. We're standing in a synagogue. Right behind me, there would be the master seat, if you will, where they would call it Moses' seat. Great authority came from that position. The chief rabbi would sit there at the synagogue. Therefore, whatever they tell you to do, observe. That observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. Do you get what he's saying right here? Jesus is saying the scribes, these uh, religious leaders, part of the Pharisaical sect, these pompous people, 
And again, let me make it very clear, and I, I want to stop for a moment. I love the Jewish people. I do. We're going to look at several things that many of the Jewish people rebelled against the Lord Jesus during the first century. That's not to condemn the Jewish people, folks. It's simply saying these individuals at that time rejected Christ, and they did. And Jesus calls them out on it. But folks, let me tell you this. Every Jewish person, every Gentile person is a soul for whom Jesus Christ died. I have many Jewish friends, folks. I love them dearly. Some of my best friends are Orthodox Jewish people in the inner city of Milwaukee. I love them dearly. So this is not a condemnation on the Jewish people as an ethnic group. I love them. But folks, we got to be honest. I'm preaching what the Word of God says about what happened in the first century. God knew the Jewish people were going to be used to get to the Roman Gentile leadership in the government to get him on the cross. Jesus knew he had to get to the cross, and he was using the proper means to get there. So hopefully that helps. So we have these scribes and the Pharisees. They sit in Moses' seat. They tell you to do things, but they don't do them. So what does the Bible say? It says, where they bind heavy burdens. What is, uh, when I first read that years and years ago, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on men's shoulders. I'm thinking about, what are they talking about? I mean, are they making them go out in the fields and carry their wood or whatever? It's like, no, that's not what he's saying here. Here's what the Jewish Pharisees, remember the word Pharisee? They tell you to do things. They bind things on your back by telling you, you know, you've got to follow the law. Folks, do you know how many commandments there are in this book, the Old Testament? 613 commandments. 365 negative, 248 positive. There's a whole lot more in there than 10 commandments. But they were binding that, and then they were putting their traditions on things on top of it. Hard to bear. Trying to make these people do things that the Pharisees and scribes knew they couldn't do. Verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. Folks, I can't tell you what has gone on at Union Grove Baptist Church in the next two, uh, uh, in the last two weeks. I don't have enough time to go through the good things that people here have been doing for other folks. It's amazing. Why do they do that? You have no clue who's done what, do you? They didn't put an ad out on the newspaper. They didn't go somewhere and say, hey, here's what I'm doing. They did it because they love people and they love the Lord Jesus and they want to help others. It's not what the Pharisees and scribes were doing. They're like, here I am, folks. Take a look what I'm doing. Verse 5, but all their works they do to be seen by men. And I'll explain this. They make their phylacteries, and we'll show you a picture of what a phylactery is in just a moment. It's basically ornaments that are uh, put on the arm and up on the forehead. And they make broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. So they put on these big robes. Let's take a look. Now, if you look up on the right side of the screen, you'll see uh, what would have been a Pharisees-type outfit of the day. If you look on his forehead, you'll see a big black box. That's the phylactery. So they put these big phylacteries on. 
What did the phylactery have? I'm going to go back one slide. If you look down towards the bottom, you'll see uh, 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 some scriptures which are basically things telling them to bind the scriptures about them. So they had four different passages that were put on inside that phylactery. He said, bind them about your head in Deuteronomy 6 and, uh, and your arm. So they literally take that. If you look on the, uh, the, on the left side of the screen, you'll see a man. They string the uh, phylactery around and then they put that box of scriptures also on their hands. So they have it on their forehead. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, you guys, <laughs> y'all, you guys, you put on these phylacteries. You get the biggest one you can put on your head. You get the biggest one you can put on your arm so everybody can see how spiritual you are. Oh, my goodness. Folks, would you get upset if somebody was making fun of what you were doing? Do you think you would? Of course we would. Here's a little something for the kids out there watching right now. Have you ever heard this little teeny statement, kids? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. You know what? That is the biggest lie I have ever heard. You know, you can take a stick and beat me with it. You can punch me in the nose. I'll heal. You make fun of somebody. You hurt their feelings. You bruise their spirit. And that hurts deeply. Sticks and stones yeah, they can break our bones. And names do hurt. Comments do hurt. Things people say really, really hurt. Do you know that's why it's so important that we love other people, that we're nice to them, that even when we're joking sometimes, we should be careful what we say. And if we're mean-spirited, oh my goodness, should we not do that, right? Sticks and stones break our bones and names do hurt. You take that with you, young people, teenagers and so forth, even us, older folks. I... I like to do sarcastic humor once in a while. And it's like, oh my goodness, I probably shouldn't have done that because I could hurt someone's feelings. But Jesus says this. He says, listen, you scribes, you, you Pharisees, you put on all this garb trying to impress people with your religious prowess. Shame on you. That's what he's saying. Yikes. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you, but you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you, you shall be your servant and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted folks that's what jesus is saying to these religious leaders he is slapping them down he's pushing them hard it's serious conflict these are the folks that shortly are going to be crying out and screaming in the streets crucify him they had enough and it was because Jesus knew that's exactly what had to happen. So Jesus, just a little a rendition or a, a rendering, if you will, from a, a, an artist's perspective. So Jesus is dealing with these highfalutin religious leaders. He's getting in their face. He's setting the record straight. 
and it's not going well. But actually, it's going perfectly well. All right, so let's take a look at the eight woes that Jesus now pronounces upon the Jewish people. Matthew chapter 23, let's start at verse 13. Woe! Again, harsh condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. What is he saying? The Lord Jesus is saying, look, by your false teaching, by your adding things, by your putting burdens that are unscriptural on people's back, not only are you not going into heaven, Pharisees and scribes, but you're preventing others from getting in. Oh, my goodness. Folks, i got to stop here for a minute. Can you imagine a pastor, a priest, a rabbi, who's standing in the spot that I'm standing in right now, and they're telling people things that aren't true, Instead of telling them what's inside this blessed book, they pull out liturgy books, they pull out theology books, they throw out prayer books, and never get inside this blessed book. And they deceive people into believing things that are not biblical. And God is saying, and, I, and I'm right there with him, he's like, how? you think you're going to escape the judgment teachers priests rabbis pastors that don't teach the truth in this book what is the truth jesus christ said i am the way the truth the life no one comes to the father but by me you know what our you know what our world teaches every single religion Every single one except one teaches you do your best and hopefully you'll get to heaven. Hopefully. No guarantees. That's every single religion except one. True biblical Christianity. Biblical. This is it. The manual. What does it teach about salvation? It teaches the exact opposite of what every other religion teaches. Every other religion says, ah, be the best you can. Try the best you can. Hope for the best. Maybe you'll make it. And God says, listen, here's what I say. Jesus said, I'm coming down from heaven. God's very son. I'm coming down from heaven. I'm going to take on a physical body. I'm going to be pushed around. I'm going to be slapped around. I'm going to be crucified i'm going to have my blood spilt i'm going to have my body ripped to shreds to pay for your sin jesus is going to do that and he did do that for us do you see the difference folks and what does jesus say he could care less about what me and you do except for one thing jesus christ came into this world to save sinners that's me that's you how did he do that? By going to the cross. You can see the cross right behind me. That's the focal point. Jesus goes to that cross in just a couple of days in our narrative. He's going to give his life. He's going to die willingly. 
Jesus Christ is going to give his life to pay for our sin. And what does the Bible say about this? It says this, and we repeat it almost every single service, for by grace are you saved. It's God's free unmerited gift. By grace are you saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. There's nothing we can do to earn heaven. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Scribes. Pharisees, you're boasting about what you've done. You're, you're putting on your religious uh, accoutrements. You're trying to look big before people. And he said, you are not going to get into my kingdom because you've refused to humble yourselves and to repent and to trust me, Jesus said, as your Savior. Woe unto you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Oh my goodness, he's getting on them. You take the money of widows. You make them even poorer than they were. You come out into the public and you pray so everybody can see your beautiful, eloquent prayers. And God says, woe unto you. Folks, you see where he's going. Do you see how the life of Jesus, this humble servant, comes and he's like, folks, it's not about what we outwardly do. It's not about what we outwardly wear. It's not how fancy we look to other people. Jesus said, would, would, would you guys just get it? Would you humble yourselves? He's basically saying, knock it off and get your heart right with God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's causing tremendous conflict again he's getting in the religious leaders face he's pushing them to the extreme third woe out of the eight woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites here we go you travel land and sea to win one proselyte and when he is one you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves Here's what he's saying. Can I ask you a question, please? Please? When you look at that verse, what does it say to you? The Pharisees and the scribes, he says, you know, they, they, they're going everywhere. They're going, they're going, they go out there trying to find Gentiles, proselytes, that they can convert to Judaism. And what's he saying? He's saying, you know what, you know what you guys are doing? You you pull them into your synagogue. You you, you pull them towards the temple. Synagogues didn't exist yet, but you try and pull them into the temple. You try and pull them into your group, and all of a sudden you say, "Listen, guys, here's what the here's the way it's going to be. You see all the laws in this book. You're going to follow them. You got to do this." And they start going through hundreds of different rules, and Jesus said. You are erring in what you are doing, and you are taking people, you're telling them this is the way to my kingdom, and you are deceiving them, and you're making them twice the person of hell that you yourselves are by deceiving them the way you are. Folks, what I'm saying right now isn't going to be real popular with a lot of people. Because when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you can't come unto the Father except by me, 
I'm going to make a whole lot of folks mad, and I'm not trying to. I'm trying to say there's only one way. The Bible is exclusive. It really is. It doesn't allow for a bunch of different ways to get to heaven. Jesus made it very clear there's only one way. Have you, please, I'm trying to be kind. I know my preaching, sometimes it sounds, oh, he's angry, he's mad. No, I'm just trying to make it real clear what the Lord's saying here. He caused conflict. And folks, in our generation, we have gotten so, excuse me, now I'm going to preach for a moment. We have gotten so milk toast. We have gotten so ex, uh, non-exclusive. We've taken this Bible. We've watered it down. We've said everything under the sun to try and please people. And Jesus says, enough! We need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to the basic word of God. I was talking to a good friend today. And we were talking about what does it mean when God says he loves us? What does he mean? Does that mean he embraces? Come on, everybody, let's kumbaya. I love everybody. It's all good. Come on into heaven. It's, let's all party. It's all good. That's not the love that God's talking about here. God says, I love you enough to suffer for you. I love you enough to die for you. I love you enough that I did every possible thing I could to win you to myself. That's what he's saying. No, he is not going to love you enough to say this. It's okay. I don't care you're a sinner. I'm bringing everybody to heaven. Y'all come on up. It's not what the Lord's saying. He said, I love you enough to give my life for you, and you must trust me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody, no man, no woman, no child, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Conflict. Woe number three. Next woe number four. Woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. He's talking about vows and, and they're, where they're putting their priority. Fools and blind. Oh my goodness. You know, if I said that to somebody, I'd probably get a punch in the nose. What's he calling them? You blind guides. It's like you're out there with a white cane trying to tell people where to go. You can't do it. You're fools. Whoa. Fool? Have you ever been called a fool by someone? I mean, they're going to be pretty mad to call you something like that, right? And Jesus is really on them. He is just pushing them. You blind guides, you fools, you're blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. What is he saying once again? Push, push, push. Here's what you religious leaders are doing. Push right back. Here's what you're telling people to do. I'm pushing back on that. Here's what you've been lying to the people about. You've been falsely teaching them. Folks, I've been reading a lot about rebellion recently in blogs and Facebook and other things. 
You know what we need to rebel about as Christians? Let me tell you what we should be rebelling about in a kind way. We should be rebelling against false teaching. And you know how the best way to rebel against false teaching is? Teach the truth. It's that simple. It's that simple. We have people in our church every single day, every single week, telling folks in a kind, loving manner that Jesus Christ is the truth. Folks, I'm not going to spend time fighting with people. I'm not going to spend time saying this is wrong and that's wrong. We know it's wrong. We need to propagate what's true. Folks, when you go to work, those of you still able to go to work, those of you that have children at home, those of you still able to get on a phone and so forth and call people, Get on your uh, uh, email accounts and your texts right now saying we can't come to church. And you kindly and lovingly speak the truth in love and say, folks, <laughs> here's the truth of the gospel. And you lovingly and tenderly tell them the greatest news ever given to man, that Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners. That's what he's asked us to do. Fifth woe, conflict, more conflict. Woe, Jesus says to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. You know what he's saying to him? He's saying, oh, you guys are so meticulous. You get out your little scale and make sure you get the right percentage of all these little spices and you bring them and you give them to the temple. How nice. But you know what you haven't done? Oh, boy, here comes again. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Here we go again. Bam. Harsh. Blind guides. You strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 23, God makes it clear that you shouldn't eat gnats because it's an unclean little bug. So the Jewish people, and that's why Jesus is on them. They literally get strainers and put their fluids through them to make sure if there's a gnat inside of the jug that they're pouring from, that they get that gnat so they didn't eat that unclean gnat. And he's saying, you know, you got that little gnat. Good job. But you're swallowing a camel, a camel of lies, a camel of hypocrisy, a camel of false teaching. Whoa, my goodness. But you've neglected the weightier things. You've rejected what I've told you in the scriptures about myself. You've rejected justice. You've rejected truth. You've rejected mercy. And you're living in the law. Do you know, folks, that's no different than what's happening 2,000 years later. Jesus is, is going to go to the cross in the first third of the first century we're over night, almost 2,000 years later, and Jesus is still saying the same thing in the scriptures to us. Ah, you do your best. You try your best. Uh, you, you, you go to church. You get baptized. You take communion. You try to be good to people. You do everything right. You give money to the church. All these wonderful things. You're straining out the gnat, but you're swallowing the false deception of the camel. Anyone, please. As lovingly and as kindly as I can say it, anyone who is trying to get to heaven by doing what you think is right instead of what God says is right, which is trusting in Jesus Christ, his son, you're swallowing a camel. You've been deceived. 
What else does the Lord say? Sixth woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You cleanse the outside of the cup and dish. In other words, you, 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 get a, you get the dish and you clean it all up on the outside. But then when you go in, the inside of the dish is full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. What is he saying? He's saying you put on just like tonight. I don't know how good I look, but it's, here it is. <laughs> but here's my suit. Got my tie on. Got my shirt on. Hopefully I look somewhat decent on camera. And God says, you know what, buddy? You all gussied up tonight. What's on the inside of you? What's in your heart? What's in your mind? Do you truly love Jesus? Do you truly care about him? Are you truly serving him? And that's what he's saying. Oh, you Pharisees. You clean the outside of the dish, but look at the garbage and the corruption and the sin that's stuck inside of you. You try to fool people by your outward look, but you're messed up. You're full of sin. Christian, Christian, believers in Jesus Christ tonight, you might look good on the outside. How good are you on the inside? I know that's tough. The internet allows us wonderful things, live streaming, church services, Bible stories, wonderful things. But you know what else that beast does? It provides the worst forms of entertainment known to man. And you know where I'm talking about. And I've got children watching, so I want to be careful. You know where I'm going? You say, I'm going to turn you off. That's bad preaching. No, it's good preaching. <laughs> it's hard to hear, and I admit it's hard to hear. But, folks, there's a lot of dirt inside many of us. Got to clean it up. How about now that we're at home, a lot, lot more with our family? Are you treating each other with love and respect and care? Ah, they're annoying me. Well, folks, that can happen. We can get annoyed. I'm trying to work from home and they're making too much noise and I just got to put my foot down and let them have it. Take it easy. Everybody's having a tough time. We got to watch what we're doing. We got to be careful. We got to be sensitive. I know it's hard. I do the same thing. Believe it or not, I'm a human. (laughs) And we all struggle. And God says, take it down a notch. Take it down. Seventh woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. Here he goes again. He is just beating on them. You look great, but you know what you're like? You're like a whitewashed tomb. Inside those tombs are dead people. Back in the ancient days, they used to whitewash tombs because the Jewish people would be coming into the city. And as they came in to celebrate the Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles, they had to be clean. And the Jewish people knew from the Old Testament law, if they touched a sepulcher or a a, a tomb, so to speak, they became unclean and basically couldn't go on the Temple Mount. So they whitewashed the tombs so people could find them. And he said, you know what? 
Jesus uses that as an example because all the thousands and thousands of people are just coming in for Passover. He says, you see all those whitewashed tombs you walk by on the way in? You're just like them Pharisees. You're full of corrupt, decaying bones. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you are really bad. Fifth or eighth woe, finally, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the judgment, the condemnation of hell? Folks, eight harsh, tough, in-your-face, tough things to say. Now, can you give me a little attitude for the last couple minutes we have together? You say, Brother Rich... That was kind of a strong message tonight. I agree, it was strong. But who was the one who was preaching it originally? That's the guy I serve, the Lord Jesus Christ. I serve the risen Savior. Jesus preached that message. I just kind of gave it back to you. You say, wow. I wanted to just hear about Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and go out and have a great day tomorrow. And that's what you can do. And here's how. When you trust Christ as your personal Savior, when you're living for him, and there's a lot of Christians walking today, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, are you walking as he's asked us to walk in Love in a spirit of humility, in the spirit of helping others. Take off the phylacteries, take off the fancy robes, take off all the accoutrements of religion, throw them away, and put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ tonight. Christian, we got some work to do, don't we? Folks are telling people around us over and 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 over again lies. Things that are not found in this blessed holy book, the Bible. Just like Jesus, it's time for us to say enough. The Lord needs you. You say, wait a minute, God needs me? Yes, he does. You see, God has called me and you to be his ambassadors. Wow, that is wonderful. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ, not because I'm a preacher, but because I'm a Christian. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ, Christian, you're also his ambassador. We have people in our church constantly sharing the gospel. Folks, we need all of us to do that as much as we possibly can because the only voice God has is yours. He's not going to come down. He's not going to get on the TV. He's not going to get a megaphone. He's not going to tap people on the shoulder. God says we plant, we water. That means we give out the gospel. And Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, brings forth the increase. Christian, We need you to be busy this week. Get on the phone. Call some folks. 
people that you might still be able to see, even though the, uh, the restrictions are on. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to share the gospel this week? We need you to do that. Wait a minute. God needs you to do that. Would you do it? Finally, and we'll close with this. I've talked about the importance of trusting Christ as your Savior many times already in this message, and we've been talking about it over the weeks. There's folks right now, you're watching me, and it might be hard to watch me right now because it was kind of a tough thing we talked about tonight. But let's forget all that for one moment, would you please? Jesus Christ does love you. He died for you. I care about you. I want you to go to heaven when you die. And we don't know if that could happen tonight. It could happen tomorrow. We don't know. Where are you going to go? Well, I hope, I think, I forget that. That's what Jesus said. Enough of that. Here's what it is. You ready? Real quick. Do you believe that you're a sinner? We're all born sinners. We can't avoid it. We're all sinners. You understand that, correct? Correct? Okay, we agree on that. Second thing the Lord Jesus says, he says, listen, the wages of our sin is death. Because we sin, if we got what we deserve, not just physical death, but spiritual death, eternal separation from God, Revelation 21.8. But the good news is that Jesus Christ went to that cross, and he gave his life. He shed his blood. He gave it for you. Why? Because he loves you. Here's what you have to do. Are you ready? Last point. You know everything else. You've already known that. But here's what you've got to do. You've got to do this. Receive what Jesus Christ did for you by faith. Reach out right now, right there where you're seated, standing, wherever you are. It's time to reach out and say, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of doing it the wrong way. I'm tired of doing it because man told me to do it some way. Now I want to do it God's way, your way. And I'm asking Jesus Christ to come to my heart and my life right now to forgive me for my sins. And I'm giving you my life tonight, tonight, no longer. I'm done with my way. It hasn't worked. I'm now going to do it your way. Would you say this prayer with me? The prayer won't save you. It's not some incantation, but I want to pray with you right now. It's all right. You can pray wherever you are. You don't have to be in church to pray. You can pray any place you're at right now, whether you're in a car, whether you're in your home, whether you're at work, doesn't matter. You can pray right where you are. Would you pray this with me? Again, the prayer is not what's going to save you, but it's your faith. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray now that you'd hear the prayers of those that are right now trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Would you pray with me, those of you seeking out to trust Christ tonight? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. I know I've sinned. I know I've done wrong. But tonight, I'm repenting of those sins that I've done. I'm giving you my life. I'm asking for your forgiveness, which I know you'll give to me, because you said you would if I trust in you. And right now, dear Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive my sins, to come in my life. I'm giving you my life tonight. Thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen. Finally, folks, and we'll sing a little quick number and uh, we'll, we'll go our ways. If you've trusted Christ tonight, or if you're a Christian, I don't care if you belong to Union Grove Baptist Church or not, you're our friend here at Union Grove. Would you go to our website, myuniongrovebaptist.com? Would you please write and contact us? 
If you've trusted Christ tonight, or if you have any need, or if you're a Christian, you say, man, I just, I'd like to be involved in your church. I, I think you guys, I've heard some things I like. Maybe I should be thinking about coming there. Would you just write us, myuniongirlbaptist.com, let us know what you need. The secretary will get it. She'll give me the messages, and I will personally contact you. I promise you I will. We want to help you. If you've trusted Christ tonight, we've got some free things we'd love to send you to help you as you grow in your Christian walk. Folks, thank you so much for watching. God bless you. Josh?